this is Sabrina Marie, host of the Building Abundant Success Series, our primetime mastermind that promotes empowered focus, decisive action, and inspired outcome. Our spotlight on entrepreneurship and economic empowerment, and tonight, self-esteem is our spotlight with Dr. Joe Rubino. He is an internationally acclaimed authority on self-esteem building, and he's the CEO of the Center for Personal Reinvention, an organization that has impacted the lives of more than one million people through personal development, self-esteem enhancing, and leadership development programs. His ultimate goal is to impact the lives of more than 20 million people to live a life without regret, in harmony, and with their most important values while being their very, very best. You're going to enjoy this interview. I mean, I grew up uh, as a little kid, uh, smaller than all of my peers, and I remember an episode when I was about six years old when I was out playing and there were a, a lot of teenagers in my neighborhood, 15, 16, 17 years old, and they decided one day to play football and use me as the football. So uh, I was tossed back and forth and, uh, you know, got a few bumps and bruises, but more I I, I uh, made up that, you know, I wasn't very worthy because these these kids were using me as a football, so, you know, what, that, what does that say about my, my self-worth? And so I I actually decided at that point that, I, I would show them and that I would become smart and, and I would study hard and I would apply all of the, the ways that I knew how to win in order to overcome what I made up about myself, which was the fact that I was not big enough, not good enough, not uh, able to compete with you know all these other kids who, of course, were 10 years older than I was. But um, wow. you know we, we all make things up like that in our lives and... Uh, many of us can recall an early upset like that. And even if we can't, all we have to do is look for the, the most recent time we're in an upset, and we can trace back what we made up about ourselves and what we made up about other people and the world in general. And it's the same basic upset, Sabrina Marie. Wow. Um, where does low self-esteem have its, has its, you know, where does it have its origins in a person's life? Well, it, it starts early on, typically before the age of six, although it can be a few years after that, but one of two primary things happen. Either someone says something negatively about one of us, and we buy into that negative thought. Maybe it's uh, an insult or a, a slur, or uh, it could be a bullying episode. It could be a spanking. It could be uh, just we're called a name. It could be an abusive situation on the far end. And we decide that there's something inherently wrong with us. We decide that we're unlovable, unworthy, not good enough, not perfect in some way. We look at the the world and we see that we're not as smart as others. We're not as athletic as they are. We're not as charismatic. We're not as funny. We somehow don't measure up. And we decide that that's just the way it is. And then we go forward in our lives based on that assumption. And we look for evidence to reinforce that. So if we make up that we're stupid, for example, we look for ways to reinforce the fact that we think that we're stupid. So perhaps we'll not do well in school, maybe we won't study because we'll be angry, and so that gets reinforced as a self-fulfilling prophecy. So one way, then, is that we buy into someone's low self image of us, and we adapt it for ourselves, and we say, that's true, I am not good enough in this way. The other way is that someone says or does something that has no ill intent. 
it, you know, they, they just happen to say something, and we took it the wrong way. We made up that, oh, they don't, we, I wasn't invited to that party because no one likes me, and no one likes me because, and then we fill in the blank. So whether we actually buy into someone else's negative opinion or we make something up about circumstances, what someone says or does, it doesn't matter because the result is the same. And that result is that moving forward into our lives, we then create the evidence to reinforce that initial thought. And that negative self-talk continues to grow until years and decades pass where there's absolutely no doubt in our minds that there is something wrong with us and that we are defective, we're unlovable, we're not good enough, we're not worthy, we're somehow not able to tap into all the good things in life. And then we create that as a self-fulfilling prophecy because it's our expectation. You say that the roots of uh, self-esteem have, has its origin in, before we are probably seven years old, give us an example of how young, a young child might have their self-esteem shattered. Well, sure. Uh, I'll give you an extreme example and then an example that, you know, is not so extreme, but uh, an abusive situation where, uh, let's say, an uncle does something horrible to a young child. The young child uh, decides that she's not good enough, she's not worthy of love, she deserved the abuse. I, one of the people that I coached just a couple of weeks ago was sharing with me an episode where she were... She was eight years old. She wore a pretty dress, and she has held it. She's now 58 years old. She has held it for the last 50 years that it was her fault because she wore the pretty dress, and her her mom told her to to stay in the yard, and she went next door to the uncle's house, and, and the uncle abused her. And so, one, she didn't obey her mother, so she was bad. Two, she wore a pretty dress, and she caused it. So these are all things that she made up about herself. So... That's one instance where uh, someone takes on, uh, you know, what happened was the uncle was a sick person, and he did what he did, and it was nothing to do with the little girl. The little girl was a sweet little girl, and she just made all these things up about herself that damaged her self-esteem and caused her to feel poorly about who she was moving forward. Another common example is when a sibling is born, the, the little child thinks I must not be good enough for mom and dad to want to have another baby come into the family, this little intruder here, because I must not be enough for them. So the child acts from that assumption that they're not good enough, they're not enough for their parents to, to love and to, to, to be happy with. So they go through life one of two ways, either proving that they are good enough or saying, you know, the heck with you, I'm going to be a rebel, and I'm going to show you how not good enough I am, and, and that'll teach you. So whether we we go in one extreme or the other, it doesn't really matter. What matters is the fact that we made something up about who we are, and moving forward, uh, it really doesn't support us, and the more evidence we create that reinforces that initial decision, the stronger it becomes embedded in our minds that that's just who we are and the more difficult it is for us to break out of that mold unless we have a few insights into the tools and some of these tools are, are the tools that I speak about in the self-esteem system. We can either become a rebel or, you know, we can go the other way. I went um, the denial way as a child since I grew up in pediatric care and I, I imagine myself as a well person. Uh, and that's good to a degree, 
But as you get older and you're you're denying who you are and what's really happening, because I was in such denial, I thought, oh, no, I'm well. And I started acting, and I I put it in overdrive. I dressed the best. Everything had to be the best. The clothes had to be the best, you know, know, the top of the line. And I'm wondering if it all began when we were young. Why haven't we got over these feelings, uh, you know, later in our lives? What keeps these feelings of us being unlovable or not good enough in place? What's what's going on with that? Well, like you say, what happens is that we make something up about ourselves, and we make something about about other people, and we make something up about the world in general. And so you made up that the way that you could survive and, and be loved and appreciated and accepted was to dress nice, to have the best of things so that people would would want to be with you. you. You decided somewhere along the line that that meant that you were worthy. And so what happens is we all, when you asked me, Sabrina Marie, what keeps it in place, uh, when we first decided that we were not good enough or unworthy or unlovable in some way, it created for us an emotional reaction. And for most people, that's a form of anger. And it can range from indignant anger to frustrated anger, all the way up to rage. And for many people, that anger was unacceptable, and it goes very rapidly to sadness or fear. So if we look at those three emotional responses that are the most typical, anger, sadness, and fear, and when the initial upset occurred in our lives, we went to one of those typically. And now, over the years, we continue to gravitate to the upsets in such a way that we create those same emotional tugs, the same pull toward anger, sadness, or fear. And the reason for that is that it makes us feel powerful. It's a comfortable emotion in that we're used to it. You know, we we can't take responsibility for our lives if we're we're angry because it's not our fault. If we're victims, then we get to feel sorry for ourselves and we get to have other people feel sorry for us. And this this whole thing not only stays in place but becomes more entrenched because of the, these emotional reactions. So, for example, uh, someone says something or does something and if our emotional uh, predominant mood is anger, then we get angry, we damage our relationships, then we get to be right about the fact that we don't belong and no one likes us and no one wants to be with us, which makes us angrier and sadder. And so it's a downward spiral that continues. So if we can start to recognize the emotional response that's most typical for us, it's like a heroin addict that has this uh, fix that he needs where he, he has to feel the 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 rush of the mood, the, the anger, the sadness, or the fear in order to feel alive. And if he's not getting that, then he will go and scan for opportunities and situations where he can attach meaning to what happened in such a way that he can make up that, uh, you know, that he has a right to be angry or sad or afraid. Wow. Wow. So you say uh, anger, sadness, or fear are the three. Wow. Uh, Yeah, those are the main three, and there are a lot of variations of those. But typically, most people fall into uh, having one of those flavors of anger, sadness, or fear. And when I say sadness, for example... You know, a lot of people walk around in kind of a low-grade depression, and that's because that's their predominant emotional mood. They have conditioned themselves to interpret life in a way that causes them to be depressed. 
And so they'll scan for opportunities to be depressed, not because they like being depressed, but it's a familiar, comfortable feeling for them, and it keeps everything in place. They get to feel sorry for themselves. They get to be mad at others. They get to uh, not be their best. They get to uh, blame others for things, all of that, and the same with fear. A lot of people walk around worrying about everything because that's their predominant emotional state. So they will gravitate toward, you know, will I have enough money? Will I lose my job? You know, will my spouse leave me? Will my uh, children be okay? Will my dog get hurt? Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. It's, it's a constant, unending series of ways to worry because that's the fix that they need to keep that emotional tug in place. Wow. And what if we can't recall an early upset, you know, an upsetting event or or happening? What if we can't, and I'm sure subconscious and unconsciously, that can happen, right? Oh, absolutely. You know, a lot of us can't remember an early upset in our lives, and it doesn't matter because we've gone, we've relived that same upset over and over again. So all we have to do is look at the last time there was a significant upset in our lives. What did we make up about ourselves? What did we make up about the other person who was supposedly causing the upset? And what did we make up about the world in general? So we can look at the earlier, you know, an upset earlier today. Uh, if your mood is indignant anger like mine is, because remember I, I was used as a football, um, I will scan for opportunities to make up that I'm angry or to, to feel that, that addiction. So someone cuts me off in traffic, how dare you? Uh, someone smokes in a restaurant, how dare you? It doesn't matter what they do. It's my, it's my, un, un, uh, it's my conditioned response. And if I don't recognize the mood and re, uh, decide to release that anger, and then reinterpret what went on in a way that has no anger associated with it, then, you know, I get to be angry, I get to lash out, I get to uh, ruin my relationships, I get to do all of the things that are the result of acting from one's mood as opposed to one's commitments. Well, I, I understand that perfection, you know, many of us are into that perfection mode, how does this keep us stuck? Well, when we look around us and we see that there are all sorts of examples of people who are smarter than we are, who are prettier than we are, who are more athletic and charismatic and and wealthier and they just have so much more going than we do. And remember, we're our harshest critic. What this is, is, is it's a setup for invalidation because we can always find ways to invalidate ourselves. We can always find ways to compare ourselves negatively to others and to find ways to beat ourselves up for not being good enough or or worthy in some way. And so when we have this, uh, this obsession with perfection, what it means is that we can never be perfect. So Rather than just being happy with being excellent, it drives us constantly to be perfect in a way where there's no rest for us. There's no satisfaction. So that no matter what we achieve, no matter how much money we make, no matter what position we achieve in life with our, our occupation or our business, no matter how many awards we're given, it, it always is never enough. We always need to 
stretch further to achieve that perfect state, which, of course, is unachievable, and so it's a setup for constant invalidation. Wow. That's something I can relate to. I wasn't, um, in my my healing, uh, trying to be perfect as a child. I was just trying to be like everyone else. When I, Let me tell you, but I um, would go to school like other kids, but after school was over, I had medical treatments. And it was probably more than half my life. I mean, because you're only spending a certain amount of time, you know, about six hours or so in school. And we traveled a lot. I was an Army brat. And when you're saying this perfectionism, I'm in the military when you're raised with a military mindset. My thing was always finding something to do to take me away from the hospital setting. Yeah, I had my friends there. Yeah, I had, you know, great times when I was there, but I was also seeing my friends pass away. So I wanted to ask this question as it relates to perfection. Does that also include those of us who just stay so busy so we don't have to think about, how you know, what's going on around us? That's sure. how I dealt with it. Busyness is just one way to numb out and distract ourselves. Drugs and alcohol and any addictive behavior is the same, where we can't deal with what we've decided is so, and so we look for ways to distract ourselves. Uh, workaholism is the same. Uh, sex addiction is the same. It doesn't really matter what the addiction is. There are all ways to numb out and to distract ourselves from the pain of what we've made up that is so in our lives. And, of course, we made whatever our reality is, we've generated it, we've created it, we've attracted it. And so it need not be our reality if we can learn to attract what we, what we want as opposed to uh, what we have attracted at this point. 